With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We have made it to 2019. I have no idea how a whole new year snuck up on us, but we are rocking and rolling into the new year, and we have some amazing guests on tap coming up for you, and I think today is going to be one of those days. Uh, I started the show four and a, almost four and a half years ago with the intent of exploring ideas of, of why people start their own business, how people become entrepreneurs, what advice they have for people. And the whole purpose is success leaves clues. So the more you and I get to listen to these really successful, really cool people who are doing interesting things, the more ideas we can come up with to grow our businesses, to start our businesses, and to really just live the lives we want to live. I figure if you listen to a show called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, you're either an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur. And I try to make sure that the guests who come on the show share some really good information uh, that will help you be better at what you do. Now, before I get started today, I've got to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So many of you, you offer physical products to your fans and your customers. But dealing with that physical stuff, poof, it can be a pain because it steals your precious time. You have to pack it, take it to the post office, stand in line. Well, my friends at Amplifier... They blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you fully control. They can integrate with your e-commerce shop and help drive your giveaway campaigns. They are great for big internet powerhouse companies as well as entrepreneurs who are just starting out. And on-demand means no inventory risk. And as you grow, you can stock up on inventory and Amplifier, they can handle that for you as well. Jump over to Amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. So let's get this show on the road. Today, I am going to interview Tamara Celeste. Now, she started off, she worked for Goldman Sachs. She also has a law degree. So here's someone you think, oh, Wall Street, this lady is crushing it. She's wearing tennis shoes on the subway and carrying her high heels in her bag every single day, commuting up and down Manhattan. I know that. I've seen this. And, and I've met Tamara. You take one look at her and she screams. She does that totally. But she walked away from it all. And now she helps people buy houses. She helps women create wealth through real estate. And I think she's happier than when she used to carry those pumps in her bag. So Tamara Celeste, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much, Tom. And I must say congratulations and on over 400 episodes of your podcast. Thank what a milestone. You. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I hit about episode 400 back in, I don't know, maybe October. And mm -hmm. it has just been nonstop ever since. I think the show, like everything we do in life, I think the more you do it, the better you get, the more free you get to sort of be just comfortable in your own soul. 
And I, I think I'm getting much more playful with the guests. And I talked to somebody the other day and they said they liked my podcast and they were starting their own. And she said, how do I get to the point where I can just be just so chatty and just as you go, I go, I said, go do 400 episodes. Right. She's like, but, she goes, that'll <laughs> take me years. And I'm like, exactly. 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 So, so Tamara, thank you so much. Thank you. So you started off, you, you have a law degree, you work for Goldman Sachs, total Wall Street kind of lady. So what was that all about? Oh, my goodness. So um, after graduating from law school, I went to law school in Louisiana, in New Orleans, and um, did not know what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to law school to be a criminal attorney. Um, my major was criminal justice in undergrad. And um, once I finished, I was like, you know, I really want to do something in corporate. So a friend of mine told me about um, compliance and legal work on Wall Street. And my girlfriend, one of my best friends, she was working on Wall Street. And she said, hey, why don't you look into it? And um, I started researching it. And, you know, that things happened. And I started my career at Solomon Brothers, which no longer exists, <laughs> and then went over to Goldman Sachs. So- uh, you didn't grow up in the New York area then? I grew up in Connecticut. Oh, you did? Okay. So it wasn't a shock. I, I was thinking when you said you were from New Orleans, I thought maybe you were from the South. I was going to ask you what the shock was. Oh, no, no, no. I went to, I grew up in Connecticut. I went to college in Boston. And then I went to New Orleans for law school because they offered me the most money in scholarships. <laughs> so I took it up. I took them up on their offer. Where did you do your undergrad and your and your law school? I went to Northeastern University in awesome. Boston. Awesome. I have a nephew or a, my, my, my wife's cousin's kid. It's kind of like my nephew. Oh, a nephew, yeah. Loved Post- that. Yeah, we'll, I don't know what he really is, but we'll call him <laughs> a nephew. Uh, I loved it. Loved Northwestern. In Northeastern. Yeah, oh, North, it's I'm amazing. Sorry, Northeastern. No, 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 no problem. Uh, you know why? They have a co-op program, which most people don't know about. So you, you, it's a five-year program, and you work half of the year. After your first full year of um, school, then you start splitting up. So you work six months and you do co-op six months and they help you find internships and you get real life work experience and you yeah, make he money. He, he, lo- he did that. He loved it. He thought it, it was Yeah, time. it's amazing. Plus going to college in Boston, that's awesome. My, my, oh, my actual my- nephew, my brother's son is at Boston College right now. Oh yeah, it was the best. It was the best. And, and then I went to New Orleans, Loyola University. Oh, what a great, great law school. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so it was great. So you were, you were doing the whole Wall Street legal thing. Yes. And then one day you said no more. So what happened? Okay. So I think a real pivotal turning point in my career was I was sitting on the trading floor where I worked. I covered the um, fixed income trading desk. And I went over to talk to one of the traders, a friend of mine, and I said, hey, David, you know, I don't know. We always would have these discussions. I was like, did you always just want to be a trader? Like, (laughs) and he was like, you know what? No. He's like, I really wanted to be a musician. But you know what? I have kids now. I have four kids. I have a house payment. I have car payments. I have college. He's like, so this is, you know, this is what. I'm doing now. So at that point, I was like, wow, because that, you know, I started talking to different people. And I realized that Wall Street was not for me. And that's I was like exploring and just trying to get advice from people at that time. And, um, you know, for me, the day to day of approving billion dollar trades for companies, it was thrilling and exciting at first, but I was like, what difference am I making? Like really what impact am I making in the world? Whether I approve their trade or not, or whether I'm here or not, these people are still going to make millions and billions of dollars (laughs) every month, every year. 
So um, I just felt like I wanted to do something else. And after talking to David, I was like, you know what? I don't want this to be me. I don't want to sit here 10 years from now and say, you know, what, what could I be doing? What could I have done? You know? So well, so many take the easy road. <laughs> so many people who I talk to, they get what I call stuck in the high mm-hmm. middle, meaning Absolutely. that they, they've achieved the high middle. I mean, they're doing really good. They're making good money. They might not Absolutely. be the CEO or the CFO of a company, but, but they're, they've worked their way up the thing. And, and it's hard to walk away from, from the money and the prestige and sort of that, that title that they have, but they don't love it. They, they, they're stuck. Uh, Absolutely. I do a lot of sort of one-on-one coaching for attorneys, and I can't tell you how many of them have told me I want to get out of the practice of law, but they work for big law firms, Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they're in AmLaw 100 law firms, and all of a sudden, they start looking around at what would it be like to go be the COO of a company or go into some other type of of practice inside of a business, not necessarily even general counsel, but just some other business function. And then they find out, I had one person say to me last year, do you know what a COO at a startup makes? He goes, yeah, they get some stock options, but most of them don't ever go public. He goes, they make less than a quarter million dollars a year. And he's like, yeah. how do they live on that? And I'm like, okay, let's reset our, you know, goggles here. Exactly. That, you know, yes, you're a partner in a big firm and you make, you know, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars a year. And I said, that's awesome, but the average American doesn't make a quarter million dollars a year. So when exactly. you say, I go, first of all, you're like, how do they live? And he goes, yeah, but I have friends who have these executive jobs. And he goes, I couldn't imagine the life, you know, on that. And he then decided that he was forever stuck in his job because he wasn't willing to take. Uh, the the pay cut, and he wasn't okay. willing to take the risk for the stock options, and he found right. he found there were no options for him as a corporate lawyer to make half a million dollars a year, but to be a corporate lawyer. And so he told me, he goes, I think I'm forever stuck in your high. I use this term, stuck in the high middle. And he goes, I think I'm forever stuck in the high middle because I'm not going to walk away from the cash. Right. Well, I think people have to realize too that. It's not always about the cash, right? It's that, about your I happiness. Agree. No, that's yeah, that was my whole point. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's like you have to make that decision at some point because yes, more than likely you're going to take a pay cut. More, I mean, unless you unless you have a trust fund somewhere. But wouldn't that be nice? I always <laughs> thought I always thought I would have been a good trust fund kid. I I told my mom that was the problem. I would have broken know, the stereotype <laughs> of the trust fund kid being pompous and and entitled. I think I would have been good at it. I would have been nice. I think I would have been excellent at it. Absolutely. So, but let me tell you what I did do. So, what I realized when I left Wall Street, I actually left to launch a line of footwear. And the reason I launched a line of footwear is because I'm, I'm, you met me, I'm six feet tall. I wear a size 12 shoe. I've worn a size 12 shoe since I was 12 years old. Now, mind you, when I was 18, I would have never admitted this anywhere in public, but now I'm like, I wear a size 12 shoe. Okay. So I decided to launch a shoe line for women and girls with large feet. So because I I was so traumatized growing up with only having one or two pair of shoes, because back, you know, and when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, shoes were expensive and people weren't making size 12. I could find, you know, two pair every when school started. So I was like, I don't want young girls to go through that trauma. I don't want women to go through that trauma. So I did a lot of research and a lot of introspection and I left my Wall Street job and went to Brazil and met with factories and started designing a footwear line. 
that's kind of cool. So, so how was that? Tell us that story. That was amazing. I learned so much. I made so many mistakes. <laughs> well, that's the story of being an entrepreneur. We all make mistakes. I, I, I remember I went to law school. I didn't go to business school. So I had no idea when, and I look back now in college when I had friends who were in marketing and marketing majors, I had no clue what marketing was. I was like, oh yeah, she's a marketing major. I had to learn quick about marketing when I launched the shoe line. I had to learn sales, which I never thought of myself as a salesperson. I had to hire designers because I was not a designer. Um, but it was amazing. I traveled to Brazil twice a year, worked in the factories um, with my designer, design, came up with um, two lines, a spring and summer and a fall and winter. And I, I, I can't even tell you, it was the best experience I've ever done. So, oh. so then what led you to where you are now? Okay. So what happened was um, I took the business as far as I could with my own money and my own finances. And um, I was in the process of talking to investors to expand the business and talking to like Nordstrom's and things like that. But they needed a lot of shoes for me to get in there. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I wasn't making a lot of shoes. Fortunately, in Brazil, I could make, um, you know, I could order in smaller lots. So this happened, this, I started the business in 2005. Um, I had it running for a couple of years. So 2007, 2008, I started talking to investors. But what was happening in 2008, you know, <laughs> kind of hit a recession. People weren't giving money for shoe lines. So um, at that time also, I also moved to Florida with my, ex -hu my husband at the time, but now ex-husband, and I got my real estate license because we were doing some investing. And he was like, hey, get your license while you're working on the business. So I said, great. Um, couldn't, I got to a point where I could no longer expand the business. So I let it go. And I got divorced. And I was like, hey, do I go back to New York or do I make real estate work in the worst real estate market <laughs> that we've seen? In, in, one, in one of those states that got hit the hardest. Exactly. Exactly. So I just, I, I made it work. Well, and I that's, I started, I got laid off from my corporate marketing job on April 1st, 2009, which arguably April of 2009 was the bottom of that whole great recession. Yes. And I decided I'm going to become a professional speaker. I'm going to go to conferences and be the, the, the motivational kickoff guy and the master of ceremonies. And everybody was like, you can't do that. You know, meetings are, you know, people aren't hiring for meetings. What are they doing? It was the best time ever to start the business because they weren't hiring the expensive speakers. And I, my answer was, what do you got? $1.95 and a chicken dinner. I'll do it. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's my point exactly, because what I did was I looked at where the market was and what was everything, short sales. Well, I knew how to negotiate because I have a law degree. I understood what was happening because I worked on the mortgage trading desk. I know how they packaged the loans and I could explain everything. I knew how to talk to the banks. So everyone in my office started giving me their short sales. They're like, oh, they take too long. I can't wait six months or 12 months. I'm thinking I'm going to need closings in six months, 12 months. I had a great pipeline. I had a pipeline that was out two years from negotiating short sales. So I just, I was like, and always in the top three in my office, I loved real estate. I worked my behind off. I was working 18 hours a day, meeting with clients, negoti I negotiated all my own short sales. I was negotiating probably about 60 to 75 every year on my own, no assistance or anything, but it was an amazing time. So exactly, you did exactly what I did. We looked at the opportunity 
realtors were leaving in droves at that time because no one could make any money. And here I am and there you were in the speaking business because we just saw the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now tell us about your business now. What are you doing these days? Okay. So now I am still doing real estate, but I just came out with a book um, this summer called Buy Homes, Not Shoes or Other Stuff, uh, which is a home buying guide for women. And right now I'm trans. Transfer, transforming my business more into education. Um, so I am going around talking to women, speaking to women about purchasing their first home. And subsequently, I want to get more involved in investing and helping them to invest. But I find it so important right now. Um, I just saw a study that said the average, and I could have the numbers off a little bit, but the average net worth of a homeowner is about 194000 the average net worth of a renter is like $5,000. So it's important. I think people need to realize that home ownership is one of the best ways to build wealth. So I really want to get out there and help women, um, in particular women, minority women, to realize, you know what, stop spending money on things that really don't matter, that don't appreciate. And you probably have enough money to purchase a home. So I want to give them the tools and the resources to do that. I think that's great. And that's how we change the future for families, right? You talk about, Absolutely. you know, helping minority women buy a home. Many of them are, are moms and maybe, maybe single moms. And so, Absolutely. you know, if you can help them establish, you know, uh, a path to having, you know, some sort of a, a, a better, you know, future, then you're, you're impacting generations. So I think that's awesome. So yes, now that you. you've been doing this, 2005, you jumped out, went out on your own, you went down the shoe path. Now you're in the real estate game. What do you love about, being an entrepreneur? Oh my gosh. I love the people. I'm a people person. So I love just getting out and meeting people. I love hearing their stories. Um, Just making an impact. I mean, that's what's the most important to me is just being able to really see something from the start to the finish. And, you know, for me, that's everything. I think that, I think that's fantastic. So what advice would you have for somebody who maybe they feel like they're stuck in the high middle. Maybe they're in a job like you were on Wall Street saying, hey, this is great for some people, but it's Mm -hmm. not great for me. What advice would you have for somebody about how to go out and do their own thing? You know, I say plan. You know, planning is everything. And now I I, I left out some parts of my story just for time purposes. But one thing, you know, a couple things I want to mention is I planned it out for like two years before I left. Um, I was fortunate enough, I was able to buy some investment property um, during that time, and I sold it at the right time. So I was able to have money to live. Um, You know, I kept my day job, but literally at night, I was home researching, staying up till two, three in the morning, doing research, writing business plans, doing all the things like taking my vacation time to go to Brazil to meet with factories. So again, this was a this was one level. So no matter what you're trying to do, just plan it out. I didn't just jump ship with no preparation. Um, so I definitely recommend, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't have time to do that. You have time. You have time to watch TV. You have time yeah, I mean, to meet. People tell me all the time that, oh, I don't have time. And then they talk about how they binged Game of Thrones all weekend. Exactly. Like, I, I realize that Game of Thrones won't watch itself, but exactly. you can make the choice as to uh, maybe one episode and then do some work. Absolutely. So that's my advice. Just just plan and and schedule. And it only takes, you know, I tell I tell friends now, my brother who's doing another business, an hour a day, 
you know, it doesn't have to be just incremental things get get you to the big shift. So that's my advice. No, I think I think that's fantastic. So I I do a lot of research and have a lot of discussions around potential. So when you went into real estate, clearly you had some potential and all of a sudden you were one of the top people in your office during a recession. What? How (laughs) come where other realtors were jumping out? How Mm come, you know, the business, how come some people, everybody starts, they have potential. How come some people are able to get farther across that gap between potential and results? Some people like you kick ass. Other people fall into the abyss. What do you think the difference is? What's that delta? Okay, here's what I think it was and what it was for me is I literally would walk into an office every day and people would be talking doom and gloom. Oh, the market is horrible. Oh my gosh, it's I totally shut all that out. I had blinders on. I didn't listen to anything negative. I had my face down. I if someone said, "Oh, I would be like, you know, thank you very much. Have a great day." So there's always going to be naysayers, no matter what you do. But for me, I felt like, and I don't compare myself, like I'm in competition for myself. So even though I was one of the top agents, I would look, you know, but I'm not there comparing what you're doing to what I'm doing and how are you doing this? I think about what I'm doing, how I can best serve my clients. And I just zone out any type of negativity or naysayers. I really, and I think that's what happened. And I think you're right. There's naysayers all over the place. I mean, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of people who say, well, you know, you, you have a law background. You worked on Wall Street. You know, what, what makes you think you can sell real estate? Uh, right. I, I had, you know, uh, very fortunate when I did work in corporate America, I often was recruited out of jobs to higher paying, kind of higher prestige jobs. Or I actually got laid off several times in my career because I always worked around. I didn't work for startups, but I always worked around companies that serviced startups. So there was a little volatility in that. And okay. I would get laid off and, and other companies would create jobs for me and always in sales and marketing, but people knew I was good. And so they would create jobs for me. And I had people tell me, you're the only one I know who gets laid off up. Like I would get laid <laughs> off and the, my, my phone would ring. And, you know, people always talked about, well, you know, you know times are tough. You're not going to be able to find a job. Bam, someone would create a job for me in a couple of weeks. And part of that was, is that I always knew I had to rely on me. Like you said, I didn't compare myself right. to what was going on with other, other people. I had to go be the best me that I could Absolutely. be when, when I was in that. But there were always people who questioned, well, how can you go from being a marketing person in a law firm to a bank? As if it was so drastically different. Like, oh <laughs> right? my God. I mean, how in the world could you, you market a law firm and then market a consulting firm? Oh my God. <laughs> I, I mean, I was a professional services marketing guy. I could, you know, I could do anything in that arena because all it was was professionals doing a service and me saying they suck less than other people hire them. And people are like, I don't understand. How, how, do you, how do you go from banking to law to banking? And it's like, I was the marketing guy. I wasn't, right. you know, people overthink. They think, oh, I'm, a, I'm in the shoe business. Therefore, I'm always in the shoe business. It's like, eh, right. no, because, you know, starting a career in designing shoes, that's a hard knock life. And real estate in the recession was a hard knock life. You knew how to play in a hard knock game. Mm-hmm. It's sales and it's customer service. And Mark, that's it. It's all transferable. It was, I learned how to sell shoes and then I transferred it to, and never in a million years that I think I'd be in sales, ever. Yeah, lo- lawyers and, go to law school because they don't want to be in sales. So once I learned those skills, I can go into any industry. But here's the secret. A, here's the secret, even for lawyers. A law firm, you're you're a you're a salesperson first because if you don't sell it, you don't have a case. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So this is delightful. I want to keep you on this podcast going forever, but I have to thank <laughs> the other the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you, as they all have been, by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Tamara, Tamara Celeste. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, right now, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Tamara, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Oh, wow. I'm doing several cool things, like being on a podcast with Tom Singer. That's that is, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, right now, I'm getting ready to launch virtual workshops for women all over the country, um, where I'm going to be connecting them with um, a team of their own, uh, their own real estate teams where they are. So I'm you know, working on this whole network, but I'm really excited on, on these virtual workshops. Um, and they're going to be free for women and they'll be given lots of resources and tools. So I'm super excited about that. So if someone wants to find out about those, where do they go? Well, they can go to my website, TamaraCeleste.com. And, um, you know, they can do contact me and I will add them to the list and let them know when we are doing one in their city. I think that's awesome. So, I think great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So you're out there doing your stuff, but you're noticing who's doing cool things in the entrepreneur sphere. Who do you admire out there? Oh, my goodness. I admire so many entrepreneurs, and they're probably not anyone that you have heard of or some of your listeners have heard of, but I have so many wonderful people in my life that have supported me who are entrepreneurs. Um, for example, my friends Lisa and Maya, they started nonprofits, you know, they're entrepreneurs. Um, you know, my friend Faith, who's a, a branding consultant, who's helped me with branding. I mean, there's so many that are just in my sphere that, again, people don't know them, but they've left their jobs or done certain things. And, and they're just helping the people in their community um, and helping their other entrepreneurs build themselves up. So there's, I have, I can list like 10 people off the top of my head, but I won't do that. <laughs> but yeah, so I, there's just so many people. So do you think that as an entrepreneur, surrounding yourself with friends who are entrepreneurs is helpful? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because we can bounce ideas off of one another. Um, we can share stories. We can offer support. If I need a resource, like, hey, I need to, you know, I, I had when I launched my when I came out with my book, I needed a, a, a book coach and a wonderful woman, Michelle Culp. She helped me with that. And I got her through another friend who's Tasha, who's a coach. So, I mean, you know, it's we support each other. You know, anything I need, they're there. Anything they need, I, I'm there. So, um, you know, Steve where we met at Steve, the New Media Summit, amazing entrepreneur, bringing people together. I wouldn't be on this podcast without him. So, you know, there's just so many people out there that I just admire that may not be big names, but I think they're doing amazing things. 
Well, I said it at the start of the show, right? Success leaves clues. And so if you Mm -hmm. want to do anything, if you want to be an entrepreneur, how many entrepreneur friends do you have? Because if you don't have any, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to reinvent the wheel. And I get a lot of calls from people who want to learn to become professional paid speakers. And some people are people I know. Sometimes it's someone's grandmother's cousin's third neighbor's dog's owner, uh, you know, whatever. And if they live in Austin, they always want to take me for coffee or they want to call me on the phone. And I usually say yes. I mean, if I can fit in the time, I I do have a little trick when people want to pick my brain for free. Uh, If it's local, they have to do it at 730 in the morning at the Starbucks by my house. And and I live in far southwest Austin, and Austin's like a big cigar. It's a really long town. It grew up along two freeways. That's where I met you in Austin. Yeah, that's right. You met at the Mm -hmm. the conference in Austin. So like where where that hotel was, where the conference was, is as far away from where I live to still be in the city limits as possible. It could take an hour and a half in traffic. Oh, wow. And so people will be like, oh, can you meet me up here? It's like, oh, no, actually, you can come down to my neighborhood. Sometimes people go, oh, I have to get a kid to school, or oh, I have to do this. I'm like, Awesome. The free co- the free time to meet me in person is at the Starbucks by my house. I can char- That's a great weeding you. out process. I can charge you at 3 p.m. in North Austin, but if you want to just take me for coffee, you know, we do it near my house. And I mean, about half the people are like, well, that's unfair. And it's like, you want to pick my brain about a business that I'm in, uh, you know, but the other half, they'll drive or, or, you know, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. But, right. uh, but, but I'll meet with people. And what always amazes me, the first question I ask is, you want to be a speaker, how many speaker friends do you have? And sometimes they'll look at me and say, well, you. And I'm like, no, no, we just met. You're my friend's cousin's dog walker. You know, <laughs> no. You know, I'm, I mean, right. friends like you go to their house for Thanksgiving. And if the answer is zero, I say, then you need to get around some people who do this. And not Absolutely. the famous people, just the regular people. So I tell everybody, you've got to join organizations. So the National Speakers Association is where I spend every, send everybody who wants to be a paid speaker. But if you want to be a podcaster, you know, I've met some of the most amazing people who have helped me grow this show from participating as part of the faculty at the New Media Summit or going to Podcast Movement. And it's those relationships is how I learned how to do the podcast. I now have, you know, 10 podcasters who are really good friends of mine. Right. Absolutely. And that's great advice for people. So I totally agree with that. So I think entrepreneurs, my last question always is this. I think entrepreneurs, I think we have a responsibility to do more than make money. I think we got to find our way to leave a mark that matters. So I love to ask the people who come on the show, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I do several things. Um, One thing I would like to mention is part of my programs. um, One of the goals that I want to implement next year is to have a foundation where some of the money that um, the realtors in my network, they give, they put back in so that we can give free grants to women to help with down payment and closing costs. So that's one of the things I'm going to be implementing. I sit on several boards um, but you know, one of the little things that I do that I, that, you know, that I don't really talk about my boyfriend laughs at me is I actually, I carry in my car, um, granola bars and water so that when I'm out and I see a homeless person or someone stops at the stoplight, I actually have something to give, you know, give them food, um, you know, some water. So just little things. And also just being kind, you know, I live in West Palm beach, Florida. Sometimes I'm walking home from the gym or whatever. And, and you see people who, you know, are homeless or downtrodden and, and just saying hello, acknowledging, because I think just giving kind words, I think right now there's so much negativity that, yeah, we, you know, we give back, we do the charity work, 
but the kindness, the human interaction, um, just the little things that I, I'm really trying to get better at in doing. So those are some of the things. I mean, all of that is so fantastic. And I, I want to touch on, on three different things you said before I let okay. you go. And, and one is you talk about being kind to the people. I mean, I sometimes I'll tweet with the hashtag see people. We live in a mm-hmm. world with an epidemic of loneliness and with all the connectivity that we have, and it's not just homeless people. Sometimes it's the extrovert who's part of your networking club. They're really lonely. And it's not just mm-hmm. introverts who are quiet. It's There is a total epidemic of loneliness going on in a world where we have all these likes, links, shares, and follows. People are hungrier to be seen than I think at any other time. I think it's easier to get lost. And so I think we have to make sure that we're doing exactly what you do. So I commend you you know, for that, being able to see people in, in, in all aspects. And you talk about your boyfriend laughing at you for carrying you know, granola bars and water. My wife does that. And when she oh. first started doing it a couple of years ago, I kind of was like, oh, don't roll down your window. <laughs> you know, we, we support other things. And she carries food in the, the door well of her car. And different yep. times a year, she has to have different types of food because we live in Austin, Texas. It could be 110 degrees outside her car. We could cook whatever's in the door. Right. <laughs> but uh, the one thing she learned, and this is just interesting, is she went to hand somebody a granola bar and the guy shook his head and he said, I can't. And she looked at him like she didn't understand. He pointed to the fact that he didn't have any teeth. So she now uh-huh. carries cups of applesauce. And the homeless, the homeless, a lot of them have a lot of problems with their teeth. And they've actually, I've actually rolled down the window and given someone an applesauce and they're like, oh, thank you so much. I can eat this. And then they point to their bad teeth. And so uh, thinking about that is just a little added thing that my wife realized. And I have to give her credit for that. Oh, I love that. I am going to take that. Thank you. Or the little squeeze packets. Um, because they can eat that even if they have, if they have dental issues. Right. And then the last thing you're talking about, just finding little ways to take a little bit of the profit and put it back into some sort of a foundation or an endowment that that helps other people. We started this 12 years ago, uh, and we started giving a little bit every time I give a speech. And that's the only way we make money to feed the family is through the speeches that I give. For the most part, I do very little, you know, coaching and consulting. It's all as a speaker or master ceremonies. We give just a couple percentage points every single time I get a check, and we give it to two funds at two different children's hospitals for research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities because our youngest daughter was born with a condition where the bones yep. in her head were fused together. And now over – God, it's been 12 or 13 years – between what we've given, what some clients have given, uh, what some friends have matched in a few fundraisers, it's over $70,000. I saw your TED talk about that. Yeah. I mean it's yeah. – I'm, I'm, I, I never set out to think that I could give and raise $70,000. I mean, that was mm-hmm. beyond the, the realm. And, and now I think, gosh, before I retire, we could make it a quarter of a million. And my daughter, who we call it the Kate Singer Endowment for Cranial Facial Research, Kate is 16 and she's like, well, I'm going to get a job someday. What if I do this? How big, how big could it get? And right. so it is, uh, you know, I think that that is one of the greatest things we can do as entrepreneurs is find a way just to take a couple of little teeny things. That's why the TED Talk was called The Art of Giving Small. Yeah, it really does matter. So cheers to you for all that stuff. Well, thank you. And thank you for you sharing your story. That was it was great on TED Talk. I really enjoyed it. Well, go tell all your friends to watch the TED Talk because uh, only a thousand people have watched it. And so we need more people. OK, I will definitely do that. Hey, uh, somebody listening to the show has to be inspired by you. So, Tamara, how do people get in touch with you? Where do they go? They can go to my website, excuse me, Tamara Celeste, T-A-M-A-R-A-C-L-E-S-T-E dot com, and um, you can connect with me there. And one more time, the title of your book? 
buy homes, not shoes or other that. stuff. I love a that. woman's guide to buying her first home. Those of you listening have to know somebody. That's got to be a great gift as we kick off 2019. Tamara, thanks for being a guest and sharing all your knowledge. And all of you who are here listening, I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Thank you for tuning in. Let's make 2019 awesome. Let's get out there and try some new things we've never tried before to find out what it is we really need to be doing to grow. I say it when I say try new things. When you try something new, success or failure you grow. It, bring, it makes you stronger and it brings you more courage. So get out there and try something new. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.